So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Carrie Prigent, who is the founder of CFO Consulting and who works with business owners to help them turn their businesses into what he's labeled the well-oiled machine process. Um, he comes from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is coincidentally where I spent part of my childhood growing up and has over 35 years of experience as a CFO, as a CFO consultant. Um, so you're definitely no spring chicken, Gary. So Gary's background also includes uh, a bachelor's degree in accounting, a CPA license, and he's a certified ontological coach with Newfield Network, which brings me to my first question. And I actually tried Googling this before recording, but I think I'll do a terrible job of explaining. So I'll leave it to you. I'm very curious if you could explain to our audience what an ontological coach is. Well, let me give you a little background on sure. ontological first. On ontology or the ontology of language is a discipline that was invented, I guess, or put together by a gentleman named Fernando Flores from Chile. Uh, he may, had some claims in the whole thing of ontology of language. Let me back up. Ontology is two, is a, two words. Ontos is Greek for being or to be, and ology is a study of. So the study of being and it's connected to language. It's a study of being in language because one of the main claims is that we're not only biological beings. I mean, yes, we have a biology. But what makes us human instead of just homo sapien is that we have a linguistic structure and it lives in your biology as well as, you know, the brain. Most people say language is it's a descriptive tool. You, know, you describe reality. Ontology of language says that language actually generates your reality. In other words, your perspective, what you see, and you're seeing through all these prejudices and shoulds and shouldn'ts and like it, don't like it, good, bad, right, wrong, makes sense, don't make sense, all that stuff that you have going on all the time, it's actually going on so much we don't even notice it for the most part, it, but it's guiding us, it's pushing us, it's making decisions for us all day long. So it's that narrative that actually create and generates your reality, generates your experience. We don't have a direct experience of life. We don't have a direct biological experience. We have an interpreted one. In other words, something happens and there's five people that witness it or five people go through the same experience, they'll have a different perspective, right? So they all have different realities about that Let's put it this way. There's the event, and then there's the interpretation. They're not the same thing, okay? So language is generative in that <clears throat> it generates your reality. The, today, the present that you and I are experiencing right now was invented in the past through languages, through, you know, emails and filling out forms on, on your show and what have you. But language got us here today. Language, the language you have today is what's going to invent your futures of tomorrow. So if you want a different life, you want a different, you know, you want different results, you're going to have to change your language because your language is what's generating your reality. So if you live in a mood and moods are driven by language, let's say of gratitude, optimism, acceptance, joy, that kind of stuff, you're going to have a much bigger uh, not only range of action that's possible, but you're going to have a much bigger horizon of, of what's possible. You, you get to see a big horizon of what's out there. As opposed to if you live in moods of resentment and resignation, 
you're pretty much going to see there's nothing you can do about it because that's that's key to both resentment and resignation. There's nothing I can do about it. Something's happening. Nothing I can do about it. And the added bonus of resentment is, and so and so or God or life or whatever is doing it to me, and I promise one day I'll get back. So your your range of action and your range of horizons of possibility are very much limited in those moods. So, and all this going on right here, you can't see it, right? For the most part, it's there. Here's the thing: everybody else can. Everybody else can see, you know, what you're, what you like, what you don't like. I mean, your facial expressions, everything. It's all that right there. So, the ontology of language or ontological design coaches people on how to become an observer of what this is. That way, a lot of stuff that you say is the way that it is. A lot of things, you, you know, a lot of your your prejudices, your likes, don't likes, all that stuff, were handed to you a lot of times by your parents, by your friends, by the society you grew up in. If you had been born a female in rural Pakistan in the 1700s, you'd be an entirely different person. Why? Because of language. Or even you, the human being, the biological you, could have been born into that culture and that time period. You'd be a very different person because your language would be totally different. So, yeah, so ontological coaching is get people to examine some of these things that they say, you know, this is the way it is. This is my perspective. This is the truth, not just true. This is the truth. And begin to examine those things. You can see that there are choices that either work for you or don't work for you. The choices that empower you or disempower you. And when you can reinterpret those choices, reinterpret those interpretations, you get to have a more uh, purposeful, effective, uh, empowered life. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch I couldn't talk about. I'm trying to boil it down essentially to. No, that's fascinating. This is something that's uh, completely new to me. So uh, very, very interesting. I, I would assume that you know, traveling or getting to know other cultures or experiencing what it is to live in another country, learning a new language, I would imagine has some associations of that, right? Because, I, you know, I feel that sometimes when you learn a different language and you, you start using that language, you're using a different vocabulary set. And it's a kind of a little slightly different worldview. Well, yeah. And, and again, there are there are cultural idiomatic expressions. I know some French. I used to know a lot more when I was younger and I've gotten away from it. But there are idiomatic expressions in English that don't translate well into French. And there are idiomatic expressions in French that don't translate into English. And again, all languages. Um, and yes, the, the French perspective of life is very different than the American perspective, just in language. I mean, I can tell you that. I lived in I lived in uh, northern Quebec uh, province for a summer to help learn French. And it, it's a different culture. I mean, moods and cultures of certain cities are different. I mean, the mood and culture of New York City is very different than the one in Los Angeles, as opposed to Dallas, as opposed to Chicago, as opposed to Miami. They all have their own moods, they all have their own cultures, they all have their own perspectives, what's the norm. Uh, and all that happens in language. So, yeah, you can study all that and you can make distinctions about your own personal perspective uh, and how suddenly it's so different than what's the norm somewhere else. You know, people kind of look at you funny. I mean, first time I went to LA, uh, I was 25-ish. And here I was this, you know, South Louisiana kid living in Houston, Texas, going to work on a on a ship rebuild. And I would I'd be out in the, the whatever, the restaurants and stuff in LA. And they, I mean, they just... Oh, just kind of different. <laughs> Sounded yeah. funny, I'm sure. Acted funny. I said, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and sir, <laughs> and all that. And, and they were just kind of like, hey, man, he's got a b- real funny vibe, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, um, and, and if we, uh, kind of bring things around to, um, you know, maybe for our listeners, for those kind of interested in, you know, maybe some of the lessons that you picked up over your, your 35 years of experience, is there anything that you wish that you knew, um, going into consultancy, uh, that you'd like to share, uh, you know, with others, maybe like a, uh, yeah, some that, kind of, that's a couple. Um, yeah. the first one was when I got out of school, I got out of accounting, you know, got my accounting degree, started working. And back then the mindset was that accounting is good accounts are good scorekeepers. Well, that's good up to a point. You know, you can, if you know the score of the game, you can tell if you're ahead or behind, but who's telling you how to get ahead? You know, who's telling you how to play better? It's not very strategic. It's not very forward-looking. The accounting thought about the results you produced last month, last year, last quarter, the tax returns this last period. You know, everything's about the past. And what, what I saw was missing is, and the business owners that I worked with or the clients that I had, a lot of them don't understand or didn't understand their financial state. They didn't understand what they meant. You know, what they, they, they still understood a little bit, but they're not trained in accounting. They don't know what, you know, what these ratios mean and uh, what is that P&L, what is, the, what is the gross margin, all that kind of stuff. So what I began doing was trying to cultivate some distinctions about what the financial statements meant what they're saying about the business, its current condition, its results from operations, all that, and what what strategic opportunities I saw or pitfalls I saw in the financial statements that can maybe help the owner make them more effective choices in running the business. And then in 1987, I got into the ontology of language and saw a whole lot more opportunity to make distinctions for, for uh, entrepreneurs and owners. And that one of the things I discovered is that most entrepreneurs are bad managers. And again, it's not... It's not because they're bad people, just what are the skills of an entrepreneur? They see opportunity, they want to take risks, they take action, they make stuff happen, right? What does a really good manager do? They want to keep things steady, they don't want to interrupt the flow, they want a good procedure, they want it followed, they want monotony, they want it. And I've seen some entrepreneurs, they see something going on in their company, and it's like, because it looks boring to them, they change it up and it sets the whole apple court. So one of the things I really try to do with most of the owners that I work with because I, I really haven't found anybody that's a really great entrepreneur and a really great manager. They just, they don't, the skill sets don't match. So what I try and do is most, most entrepreneurs will get into the managing the minutia of their business and they spend all day putting out all these little fires and stuff rather than having good procedures and processes to let the business run on itself, run its own, have good managers and they go do what they do best. What does a business owner do best? They find opportunities. They bring business to the door. That's what they should be doing. Let somebody else manage all the minutia. Let the procedures and the processes give you what, what I call a well-oiled machine. Mm. And through the use of dashboards, which I, I, I usually get them weekly, at least weekly, they have dashboards on the on the financials of their business, like what are sales, what are receivables, what are payables, what does cash flow look like over the next week, two weeks? Are your taxes being filed? Are your taxes being paid? Inventory, manufacturing, you know, whatever, whatever KPIs are the business. If they could have good dashboards once a week, they can limit their time in accounting and finance to an hour. And, and have a 30,000-foot view of what's going on in the business and see, is, is that something I need to be doing? Are we behind in billings? You know, it's the second week of the month, and we're only about one-fourth of what we typically bill in a month. What the hell is going on? You know, do, what, tell me what's going on. Look at receivables. Receivables are payables, not aging, the percentages. Why are receivables so far out? Do we have a problem with a customer? Oh, yeah, there's one customer. We think this one's going to go broke. But, you know, there's all those kinds of things that – and normally what happens is it's – 
it, the the owner, the message the owner gives to the employees when the owner gets in there, they have to micromanage and they got their fingers and everything is, yeah. you can't do the job my way, right? You know how to do you know how to do with what the way that I would do it. I, I always refer back to Robert Nero in Casino where he's firing the big dumb county agent's brother-in-law. He's like, there's, there's three ways to do things around here. There's a right way, there's a wrong way, there's my way. We do things my way. And that's what business owners. They don't say it like that, but that's where it comes across. So what they create is a culture of the boss is going to come and fix it every time. I'm not going to take any initiative because I'm going to get criticized because I didn't do it his way because I don't know what his way is. That It changes over time. So people will only take things so far and then they come and dump it in the owner's lap. So the owner spends the whole day putting out fires, running around all these little critical mass things instead of going out and getting business, which is what that's what they're really that you have the most valuable contribution to the business is go get business instead of micromanaging everything. And the employees, you know, so you, so the morale of the employees and the, their initiative to handle things on their own, you know, what normally happens is you have some, some breakdown, some dysfunction in the business. Owner calls a meeting, the employee's involved and says, okay, here's a problem, here's a solution. This is what we're going to do. Anybody have anything to add? No. Why not? Well, Big Boss just said, here's the problem, this is going to do it. The owners, I mean, the employees take no ownership of the solution because it's not theirs. He didn't ask them to come up with one. He just said, this is what we're going to do. So what happens is you have this chronic frustration that goes on and on. And the owners find at some point they can't even take time off of vacation. Or, not, or if they do take off their vacation, they're calling in every two hours to continue to micromanage the phone. So again, it's just getting them out of the day-to-day accounting and finance, getting them out of the day-to-day little managing minutiae, as I call it, and get them to focus on bigger things that they're most that only they can do usually, or they can do best for the company. And that's why they started the business, because they're good at manufacturing, they're good at construction, they're good at sales, they're good at wholesaling, they're good at something. And they find out they can they can create a living and they can start a business with it. Yeah. If I could ask you, uh, you know, what, what are some good initial steps that one could take, you know, for a business owner that finds them in a situation where themselves in a situation where Every single time there's some kind of problem, they're the bottleneck. What can they start to do to to remove themselves from being that bottleneck? Generally, what what I found works best, well, when I first start working with a company, what I do is generally what I call an identity check. And I ask the owner to give me, you know, how depending on size of business, somewhere between five and 15 names of employees, maybe some critical customers, maybe some critical vendors, some people who know them, and just do an oral conversation with these people, find out like, what do you think of this guy, this gal? You know, what's your impression of them? What are they good at? What are they not good at? And generally, it comes down to, I mean, several things, but the two most frequent are, I don't trust them, and they're a bad manager. And so the owner, when you tell them that these people generally don't trust you, what do you mean they don't trust me? I, I pay them, don't I? Well, yeah, you pay them in transactional, but they see you change the rules of the game to your favor, and they don't see you acting in their interest like you're acting your own. Because the point, the business, the way typical business is structured, that everything's transactional. You come to work, produce results, I pay you. That's it. And the business owner wants to maximize the business. They want to be as profitable as they can. They want to have as much cash as they can. They want it to be as successful as they can. Well, that's all about the owner. What about the employees? So there's if without if you want to take your business to the next level, you're going to have to get your employees to step up, be loyal, want to do more. And not only comes with trust. And if they see that you don't care, they're not going to trust you. 
So how do you demonstrate you care? That's a whole other exercise. But the biggest thing to do generally, if you want to, if you want to begin to dissolve dysfunction or you want to eliminate dysfunction, call the employees together who are involved from every department of whatever this function is and have them come up with a procedure, a written procedure that can be disseminated, that everybody understands that anybody, you know, monkey see, monkey do, come in like a recipe. This is how we do this from now on. Get the owner out of it, except to say, okay, this is the final, y'all sure this will cover everything. Okay, go for it. But outside of that, stay out of it because you don't do the job. You as owner don't do the job day in and day out. They do. They know what's, they know what's not working. You don't. Yeah. And I, I guess another part of that is also just hiring people who are very good at what they're very capable of what they do and probably know more than you at that specific on that specific area. So that when there is a, a fire on their desk, they sort out their fire. They're not always coming to you. They can come exactly. to you for support and you are there to support them, but ultimately they're the ones with the best answers rather than you always being the one with Exactly. The I mean, I've seen owners who know next to nothing about accounting come in and try and put a fix in the accounting procedures. It's like recipe for disaster. So yeah, so generally the employees that do the job day to day and they work in with other departments, they know how to fix it, just the owner ha hadn't let them because that's the way we always do it, you know? That's what we've always done around here. Yeah. It's 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 actually kind of reinf reinforcing some uh you know some of the things that some of our earlier guests have said but just put it in another very you know very succinct and very uh, you know very well described way actually. You know, it reminds me of of, of one or two episodes. In fact, there's um there's someone else we had on which which you know your approach reminds me of a lot. And he was actually himself he was a um, so his name's Ben McAdam and he also focuses, he's also a trained accountant, also focuses a lot on the numbers. And I, I went through a, a process with him where, you know, he really just helped me sort of break down the numbers in my business, something and, and went me, took me through this exercise, which I hadn't really done, um, a lot before. And it was very illuminating. It really gave me that, like he described that sort of 30,000 feet view, um, of the, the business, uh, which is so, so helpful. And then, um, and then I think also there was another, uh, another person we had on, um, Mad Singer, who also talked about, you know, uh, this, you know, the similar concepts around making sure that you, you as a business owner are not creating these bottlenecks and you're not, um, you're empowering your employees rather than just have them, uh, you know, just follow rote processes, uh, and just end up with, you know, just too much work on your desk all the time, rather than focusing on the things that you should be focusing. Right. And the typical business, but what happens is and over time is there are some few employees that know how to do things and they do them well. Yeah. So it always defaults to that, that person. Well, what happens is the business becomes dependent on, dependent on those people. And if that person dies or quits or retires or gets killed, whatever, you have major dysfunction for a while. So what I always encourage my business owners to do is make sure that your business is systems dependent, that you have really good business systems and procedures, well-documented. Be systems dependent, not people dependent. Because when you're people dependent, when that person is not there and people will, out, people will leave you throughout your life, you know, voluntarily or involuntarily. When that person goes, you don't want, the, you don't want there to be a hole in your business where it's going to have all kinds of breakdowns and stuff you're going to have to fool with. So develop system, be very system driven. Yeah, that's interesting. But it's 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 interesting because it's kind of a balance to strike, isn't it? 
you know, between basically identifying skills that are crucial to your company, but at the same time, having systems and frameworks in place so that if, like you say, that person, you know, God forbid, gets run over by a bus, that right. the the business still carries on. It doesn't, things don't just grind to a halt because your copywriter disappeared overnight. Um, but the question is, yeah, how do, how do you, how do you find that balance? Um, what, you know, one, one, one thing that I'm been thinking of is having a system in place that allows me to constantly have a pipeline of talent to hire from. Um, so, you know, if I've, I've, I, you know, I, so, um, to be transparent, like I'm an agency owner myself. Um, I run a podcast production company, um, and we have pretty well-defined roles, um, you know, that are doing ongoing work, uh, that every now and then we require someone new or, or sometimes, yeah, you know, like we're, we're scaling, we, you know, we acquire new customers and we need more people to fulfill those roles. But I'm, I'm trying to identify ways that, you know, we can have an ongoing assessment process for new candidates to come in that immediately, you know, we assess them, we can get, and, and we can kind of have people sort of on a bench, uh, ready to call when we need someone new. Uh, at most times. So that's something I'm, I'm trying to like actually implement myself. Um, yeah, that's just one kind of uh, example there. Yeah, one of, the, one of the best ways I've seen uh, to have people attracted to your business that you want to hire. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want the mercenaries. Somebody's going to show up just a paycheck. You don't want the people who are willing to do anything for another. They're generally very low dignity, low self-esteem. They used to be in doormats and whipping posts. And yeah. they typically wind up working for people who treat them that way. Yeah, you don't want that either. And there's a the, the George Carlin line that I like to quote all the time is most people are working just hard enough to not get fired and making just enough to not quit. You don't want them either. You don't want them. You want the people who are looking for something bigger than themselves, who are looking for somebody and looking for a leader who has some kind of vision they can get behind. Yeah. And the way to do that is create a business that people who work for you brag about where they work. You know, do you want good gossip out there about man? If you're in, if you're in a marketing, uh, media, whatever, that's a place to go to. That's a place. Send your send your resume, send your application, and even if they're not advertising for jobs, but that that's created internally, and generally it's because you've empowered your employees. They feel fulfilled, and and the thing that always it always leads down to this: Are you satisfied? Now, as Americans, we're crazy about being happy, you know, Declaration of Independence and the pursuit of happiness. I think satisfaction is a much more rewarding place to go. And, as if, if, and, and what do I mean by satisfied? The, a mentor of mine told me a long time ago, he says, you want to know the secret of life? I was like, yeah. He goes, get exactly what you want. Okay, get exactly what you want. Be ultimately satisfied. Well, what's the secret to that? It's knowing what it is that's going to satisfy you, like really taking some time to find out what is it, what is it that's satisfying you. If you're a business owner, what kind of business do you want to have? Where do you want it to be located? Who are the people you want to serve? What are the products you want? Who are the people you want? What kind of people you want to have working for you? What kind of lifestyle do you want to provide for you? All that, you really got to take some time and actually run into some things you don't want, but you're not going to know you don't want them until you actually experience them. And again, that process with the people that I work with, it takes time because at first it's kind of like, you know, what do you want? I want the number one company. I want the number one, whatever it is, XYZ company in this area. Well, uh, okay. So 
Number one, in what way? Gross sales, profitability, uh, you know, number of products, all of what? And it's not so much, are you familiar with Simon Sinek? Yes. Yeah. And he talks about the infinite game. You know, the infinite game, he talks about the infinite game. Most most finite games, like say a, a soccer match or a football game or whatever, it's time, it, it, they, they end. And they end and the results of who wins and who loses is it's on a scoreboard, right? The infinite game, the only rule of the game is that there's, there's no specific players. They come and go over time. Technology changes, the rules change, and your only point of the game is to continue to play the game, right? So you wanted your business to stay in business. And what kind of business do you want it to be in, in business? What do you want to provide for you? What do you want to provide for your employees? Where do you want it headed? What impact do you want to make in the world? Now, those are all kind of questions that take time to answer. You don't. Most people spend more time on their this year's vacation than they do on they never even think of that stuff. Yeah. But those are the kind of things that as a business owner, that's where you begin to think strategically in terms of 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road. Where do you want to be? What do you want this business to look like? You know, what impact do you want to have on, on the marketplace in the world? And as an owner, that's going to change over time. I and mean, you're going to refine that because as a business owner, you, you need to always be scanning the horizon for what's coming at you. Yeah. And there's opportunity coming at you. There's peril coming at you. And you need to learn how to navigate in the middle of all that. And so your final destination, it'll probably still be in the same ballpark, but the, the actual details of it are going to probably look different when you actually get there 20, 30, 40 years down the road because so much changes, right? Technology. I mean, who, this technology we're using right now to have this conversation, it wasn't here, what, five years ago? You know, we, we could have a, we could have a, I guess we could FaceTime on phone, but uh, this technology right here, I mean, just this, to me, it's pretty spectacular. And it's and if COVID taught us anything, is that we can do a lot more things remotely. Right? So this little technology right here that's now, I don't know how many apps I've seen for it. Uh, there's uh what there's there's, there's Zoom, there's uh oh, Loom. There's several I've seen now that you can have a direct you record it and then you can edit it and everything else. So just this technology right here is, is changing business a lot. So what other technologies are down the road? They're going to change business even more. They're going to allow you to do more things. Um, I don't know, but you always have to be on. The, you always have to be looking for those things and taking advantage of the opportunities, making sure you don't get killed by the perils. Um, totally agree. So, so Kerry, um, I know we've kind of gone a little bit off track, you know, than our, our usual sort of uh, format for these interviews, but. I'm loving the direction we're going in, but something I would I'm quite curious about with your your background is that I saw a mention of that you uh, have position with uh, one or two universities um, as a I did I, I taught at uh, four of the universities down here for about seven years um, really enjoyed it. it just got to be too much I mean it's mostly at night um, there were some day courses that I taught, but it was mostly at night. And a lot of it was on personal finance, uh, taxation, investments, that kind of thing. And with that goal setting, you know, how do you make, how do you set goals in those areas? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Taught at LSU, UL Lafayette, Southeastern and Baton Rouge Community College. And it just, it's got to be too much. I mean, I was yeah. getting home 11 o'clock midnight, a couple of nights a week. Um, so yeah, but it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. The whole thing. I'm curious. What? How did you? How did that opportunity arise? Like, how did you get into that? What? What uh, led to that? It started with UL Lafayette. I've graduated there, and I knew some people from there. 
and just, you know, the conversation, I forget exactly how I came up. The conversation came up like, would you like to take some classes? Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll give it a try. <laughs> and yeah, so it was, it's just a lot of fun. It was. It just, but at, at, the, at some point, it became too much. I mean, it's kind of, I had this radio show for like a year and a half, two years. And it was every Saturday afternoon at two o'clock. And it was, it was, I enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Got to speak to a lot of different people. And at some point, you know, the, in my second LSU Tiger football season of, you know, having to be on the radio rather than be at the football game, I, I just, I gave it up uh, eventually. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's only so much you can really commit to. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to achieve mastery in anything, you have to close off possibilities. You can't, I mean, the teenage discourses, they want to be world-class everything. You know, I want to be world. I have a brother in, in particular. He wants to be world-class photographer. He does builds furniture. He's uh, he's big into firearms. He's into uh, automotive repair and all this sort of stuff. And, and he's, he's got, but he doesn't, He's got his he's finger pretty in good all at all of them. He's pretty yeah. good at all of them. I said, why don't you just limit it to two and really, really do it really, really well? Ah, can't do that. Well, to achieve mastery, I mean, how many masters do you know are really that good at a lot of things? They're not. They're really, really good at a few things. I mean, Eric, Eric Clapton is fantastic guitar player. I bet you he's not a gourmet chef. <laughs> True, yes. I uh, Yeah. There's always the odd exception, you know, people like Leonardo da Vinci, but that's probably a real edge case. I don't think there are too many yeah. people like that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. They are, the, they are the, rare, the rare few, but for most of us, it's like you're going to have to narrow it down. Excellent. Great. Well, well, Gary, this has been really, uh, really interesting, you know, finding out more about your background. Um, I'd love, you know, as we kind of wrap up this interview, I'd love for you to just share a little bit more about um you know what the where people can find more about you online um what what are some challenges that you really you know focus on on helping people work through um all that good stuff um i have a website uh strategicbusinessadvisors.org uh you can find me there you can you know read a little bit about the well machine process you can also schedule a free consultation session with me i also have a linkedin profile Kerry prejean easy to find you can read more about me there. What's the other thing? What did, the, what did I help people with? There's three things to the well machine. I mean, that's basically what I do. Actionable financial data. I'm going to get you your dashboards every week. I'm going to help you go through and make sure you understand what you're looking at, make sure they're being presented properly and on time. Uh, also going to go through your month, monthly financial statements, part of the actionable financial data, and that you start understanding and getting appreciation for the narrative that your financial statements are saying about your business. Are you financially strong? Are you liquid? Are you profitable? Are you effective, et cetera? And then once you start getting, the thing I've noticed is once business owners start getting a feel for their financial statements, they start coming up with strategic moves uh, to improve their business that from my accounting background, I, I couldn't see, but they could because they entered the market. Yeah. So that's that's number one. Number two is eliminating dysfunction. So you know, where are the bottlenecks? What is the dysfunction? What is the thing that should constantly nag in you that you find yourself managing, you know, got your fingers in that you shouldn't have to. So we go in there and we just get whatever employees that are there together, make sure they come up with a good, well-written procedure that everybody understands that's disseminated, and actually give them a procedure for identifying and eliminating dysfunction so that they don't have to call me every time. 
they'll start automatically after a few of these things, they'll automatically start coming together, coming up with their own procedures and eliminate dysfunction. And you should see employee morale improve, right? Employee, now all of a sudden everybody's getting along with and everybody's fighting with each other. It, it's great to build a team. And yeah. finally, it's a long-term strategic planning. And again, this answers the big question. This gets in, begins to answer the big question, gets into it over time, it answers it fairly well. What is, what's going to satisfy you? You know, what's going to satisfy you about the way your business runs and about where it's headed? I mean, if you ask most of them, so where's your business owner headed? I don't know. <laughs> Mark's kind of screwed up and things. I, I'm, I'm like up to here. And the big thing is in, in, the, in the actual financial data and eliminating its function is where you can remove the manager from managing the minutia. I mean, you don't want them doing that. It's a waste of their time. And it's, it's, it's counterproductive for the business run itself. I mean, you want to be a business owner, not a glorified W-2 employee that happens to also, yeah, I own the business. You know, if you're tied to the business, if you're working 80 to 100 hours a week, if you're tired of fighting the same thing over and over, if you're tired of getting, you know, hand grenades dropped in your lap and you got to put the pin on them and get them back out of the box hole before they blow up, you're tired of that stuff, you're tired of not being able to go on vacation, you know, the, those are the kind of people that I help. Those kind of people that I help. I love it. You know, one of the things I really like about, you know, your work, Carrie, is the way you describe or label everything is just very descriptive. You know, there's no, um, you know, for example, uh, you know, the, the name of your company, for example, CFO Consulting, you know, it's very like says, you know, does what it says on the tin. And the same with all your concepts, the well-oiled machine. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just uh, wanted to commend you on that. Um, Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, you know, I, you met, I, you mentioned Steve, um, Simon Sinek, and w one of his things is about um, explaining things using being concise about your explanations and and so, you know basically using language that everybody can understand, whether you're you have a PhD or you're someone off the street. Right. And that's you what, to, yeah, you want to be able to make distinctions, right? Yeah, and distinctions. So what are distinctions? Distinctions are those things that you know. If you don't see them, you can't make very effective moves. Um, a real basic one, if, if you walk into a room and it's totally pitch black, how are you going to navigate the room safely and effectively? You're not. You don't have a distinction of what's there, what's not there. I mean, you know where the floor is, right, because you're standing on it. You don't know where the walls are. You don't know what kind of furniture. You know if there's... So when you turn the lights on, now you can see what's there, and now you can safely navigate or effectively navigate through the room, right? Without those distinctions, you can't. A business example is uh, Excel. Excel is a, as a spreadsheet. And, you know, if, if you don't really know what you're doing, if you don't have any, many distinctions about Excel, it's a spreadsheet. But if you start learning how to, you know, do the summation thing and you start identifying things and use dollar sign for the cell to where no matter where you move that cell, it's still going to show up over here. You the if so, you can do pivot tables. You can do all the lookup functions of it and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, Excel is a pretty good tool. I mean, you can make some pretty big moves with those distinctions. But without those distinctions, eh, it's, a, it's a spreadsheet. Yeah. That makes sense about distinctions? So the, the thing that we're always looking to, what's going to help people move more effectively in the world, giving them the finer and finer distinctions. And that's why... World athletes have coaches because as a world athlete or as any athlete, you can't see yourself perform. You can't. 
the coach can see you perform. They can give you distinctions and pointers on how to improve your game. Not only that, good coaches have distinctions that you as a player don't have because they've been around the game a long time and they've seen different players with different strengths and they can draw on experience and, and, and impart those distinctions to you to really up your game. Same thing for business owners. If you're out there and you think, you know, I don't need a coach. I don't need a, I don't need anybody to help me. You're just, you know, banging your head against the wall. Go for it. But if you think about the people who really excel at life have coaches, they have mentors, they have guides, you know, same thing. Yeah. Excellent. And I, I think that's a, a great place to leave off. Um, anyway, anyway, Carrie, I just wanted to thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom, uh, your insights, your knowledge bombs with us today, um, and for the time you've taken out for this interview. Thank you, Jonathan. Enjoy being on the show. Appreciate it. Cheers. That's all for this episode. And if you want to follow the podcast on social media, we're on all the platforms. So if you just search for Leaders of Consulting or our handle Leaders of C on your social media platform of choice, that includes Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, you'll find us there.